welcome to Peak Performance Humans, episode number 107. Are you ready for a game-changing advantage for your business? This is your invitation to get your team to start performing at the next level with a Peak Performance Business Results Training. It's the exact path to your next big breakthrough. It's the very first thing you'll see in the links down below. Today's episode is with Brian Von Anken. Brian is a total wellness facilitator and founder of the Mindful Social Workout Anchor. He is also growing Othership, the world's best breathwork app. He was an early employee at Tough Mudder and helped build a men's emotional wellness organization, Everyman. He is certified in emotional wellness, facilitation, breathwork, and group fitness. His mantra is, know yourself and have fun. And now, please enjoy today's episode with Brian Von Anken. Brian, thank you so much for being here. How are you doing today, man? Doing great. Really excited to, to be with you. This is going to be fun. Me too. I'm happy to have you on the show. You're up in uh, New York City. I'm down in Puerto Rico. I think the storm is uh, on in your, your area now, as you, you were telling me before this, yeah? Oh, yeah. I mean, nowhere near as bad as, as you got it, I'm sure, but like tons of rain here for New York. And uh, yeah, we're we're winding up summer and, and starting to transition into that fall season, which is always a bit bittersweet. Yep. Yeah. I love that time in New York. I love the, obviously the spring in New York is amazing, right? When it's just getting warm out, everybody's excited. But I also do enjoy the, uh, the from the summer to the, the fall a little bit. That's nice too. And it gets a little more that type of weather and the, the pumpkin picking time of year comes and all that. Yeah. Is there such a thing as fall where you are or is it mostly just beautiful and sunny like all day, every day, 365? Yeah. It's, it's usually that or hurricanes once in a while, but uh, other than that, it's beautiful yeah. and sunny 365 usually. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, you'll come up, we'll, we'll pumpkin pick next time oh, you're up here. I like that. <laughs> that sounds good, man. <laughs> So tell us a little about your story. I, I love, uh, I, I looked at your, your resume and, and obviously we spoke before this about what you're up to and uh, I love the things you've done in the past. So tell us maybe a little about your story and, and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, the long story short for me that I like to talk about. So uh, I'm an attorney turned wellness founder um, and somebody who for a long time liked uh, lived what I like to call the should life. And so, um, you know, when I was younger, I got good grades. I went to a good college. I made sure to get a good job, um, you know, just kind of like doing things that were expected of me, what I should do. Um, and it was something that uh, for a long time, I really uh, was able to focus on those things, but also physical health. And so I played college football. Uh, I worked, I was an early employee at a company called Tough Mudder which I don't know if you know it, but we did these kooky obstacle courses where you run for 10 miles, you go over obstacles, like climbing over walls, jumping into ice baths, uh, getting electrically shocked and uh, kind of grew with that team from, you know, like 10 people up to over a hundred. We had like over a hundred events a year, uh, you know, just, just became really great. It was a fun rocket ship to ride, but, um, but still like, you know, somebody who really was focused on the traditional barometers of health was like how tough I was, how much I played sports, that sort of stuff. And, um, and then basically there's this point in my life where it's just this like before and after. Um, and what happened was I married my college sweetheart and, uh, 
yeah, I ended up uh, going through miscarriages and a divorce, which really um, just rocked my world. It didn't really compute with the should life. Like this wasn't supposed to happen. And, you know, obviously I'd had setbacks before in life, but nothing that big. And I, and I just realized that I hadn't really been doing anything to take care of what I call my total health. I wasn't taking care of my mental health, my emotional health, my social health. I had buddies who would take a bullet for me, but I didn't know how to tell them that I wasn't okay. And so I really wanted to just find um, space to, you know, lean into that. And so I left Tough Mudder. I traveled the world for a year, spent time in Kauai and Bali and Japan and Europe, all over, mostly engaging in wellness practices to try to boost my own understanding and education when it comes to things like uh, yoga, meditation, breath work, men's work, jujitsu, like all these different things, just trying to up-level myself and gain knowledge. And, um, and so after that, I came back and I started my, my first company. So there's more to say, but I'll, I'll kind of pause there if you have any kind of questions or thoughts. Dude, that's so great, man. I have a lot of questions and thoughts. Uh, so first one, there, there's a lot of them to take notes right now as we're talking. So I love the, well, first, uh, you said you played football in college. What position did you play and, and where'd you play? Uh, wide receiver. Nice. Uh, I played, I played up at Tufts in Boston. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, I played all four years, set the record for most touchdowns in a game and, uh, and just like really, really got into football up there. Um, it's, yeah, it was fun. It, it was, uh, it was a good experience. I don't know if football was exactly resonant with my personality, for being honest, I think. Yeah. But I, but I love the game. I just love sports. Sports is like my lifeblood. And so being able to play some, a sport like that was, was so much fun. I love that, man. Yeah. Sport. Me too. Sports is my life, but everything in life is a metaphor for sports. Like life is a sport. I, I just love that. I train myself. Even business is like a sport to me. Like I wake up and I'm like, all right, let's go take my I'm a basketball guy. Right. So like, let me take my jump shots. What are my jump shots today? Um, yes. But I, I transitioned. Sports. I'm a basketball guy now too, that I live in New York. And, uh, Actually, a buddy of mine just wrote a book about business and, and sports, and it's like it's a hundred lessons from sports that you can apply to uh, uh, to business, which is very cool. Like when to take a timeout, how to invest in your players, like the off season and stuff. I just yeah, I'm with you. I love these analogies. I love that man. That's so cool. How many touchdowns did you have in the in the game that you set the record for? Three. It was a very uh, yeah. It was a very uh, like we have this not a very storied program. So at the time, yeah. that was the record and. Uh, so that was the the number that we went with. And I didn't even know it was a, I had scored three in high school before and yeah. I didn't know it was a record, but they were like, Hey, by the way, it's a record. And I was like, Oh, cool. That's awesome. That's That's huge. Yeah. Like playing sports at any level is like impressive, especially obviously in college for sure. Even if it's like, I played D3 at NYU, but like even still, like that's like high level. And, and, and again, there's D there's D, D3 schools that are better than D1 schools and obviously vice versa, right? D1 is obviously typically the, the cream of the crop. Yeah. But just even even playing high school basketball or football is like intense, right? So that's pretty, that's amazing. You did it for four years and you, you set that record. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's, it's I think really what it comes down to also is like, um, I, I believe that, like you said, uh, play is something that's very necessary for not just, you know, when you're in college or when you're a kid, but like, how do you keep bringing it forward? And so I think being able to reach a high level in a sport gives you the, um, confidence to then bring it into your life and bring it to other people and that sort of thing. So I've actually been coaching kids and like youth uh, football for a while and stuff, which is fun. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Very cool. And then, so, and of course the tough mutter, like 
I've, I've, we, I'm sure most people have heard of that. I remember when it was like blowing up, right? It was like Tough Mudder, Tough Mudder, Tough Mudder. Um, so that that's awesome that you were part of that and kind of like building it from, from the ground up and rode the rocket ship, like you said. I'm sure you had a lot of uh, crazy experiences with that. So many. Oh my God. Yeah. Tough Mudder. So, you know, I came in, uh, I was in law school and I had the opportunity to go to a big law firm. And then I saw this thing called Tough Mudder and I was like, I think they need a lawyer. So I guessed the CEO's email address and was like, Hey, I think you need a lawyer. And he was like, yeah, we'll come in and talk. And uh, we ended up getting along, helped build the legal team there, but wore just a ton of hats because it was a startup. And so in addition to being the legal side of things. I also was a race director. I also used to, I would go to events dressed in uh, a costume, like an Iron Man mask. And I would uh, try to sneak in without signing the waiver, steal from the merch tent, like just do all these stress tests oh, to then write a report. And uh, so that was fun up until like my my, my fellow employees started not like me as much because I was like kind of <laughs> making them look bad sometimes but uh yeah it was it was fun so many stories and and good times from from that time that's cool and then tell us about you said you're the race director at also the world's toughest mutter and what yes was the toughest mutter and and tell us about that and also I know you said you did a cool level setting experience level setting experiment uh, I'll call it if you yeah know. yeah so so um, World's Toughest Mudder is just uh, our pinnacle race where it is how many Tough Mudders can you do in 24 hours? So you get these incredible athletes who come out, ultra marathoners, crossfitters, everything in between. And it's yeah. how many miles plus obstacles can you do in 24 hours? And most people don't stop. You know, they take little pit stops after each lap, but they just go the whole night. And it's so impressive to watch. And so I had done that. I was a race director. We did it for about five years. And uh, no one had ever broken 100 miles. And I think this is just a good story for people in general to think about if you set a goal for yourself, what might happen. And so you'd never done 100 miles before, and we wanted to build some uh, publicity around it. And so I was like, hey, why don't we give them a prize if somebody runs 100 miles? Like, you know, if you do a half court shot and you hit it, you know, it's unlikely, but if you hit it, you get $20,000. So I was like, hey, let's do that. We'll give them you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars. I forget the exact numbers. And so we yeah. got a prize indemnity insurance policy and we were like, this isn't going to happen, but it'll get great press. Da, 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 da. And then sure enough, that year, five people broke a hundred miles, never, ever been done before. And we were just so shocked. We were like watching it happen. We're like, what do these people take steroids? What the heck is it? <laughs> and it, what, what we realized, it was just this great lesson in level setting that if you, if you put a goal in front of yourself, you know, if you talk to people who run a marathon, if, if, if they had to go, it's 26 miles If they had to go 27, they would go that far. And how much that is important to your mindset, to get for your preparation, to get everything ready. And so, um, it was just fascinating how many people were able to do it. And I feel bad for the guys that, cause we only gave out one big prize. So there was, you know, one person who got the prize, the other people didn't get it, but still it was, it was a super impressive feat. That is amazing. That also reminds me of Roger Bannister. Uh, about how he was the first person who broke the four minute mile because before that the belief was oh it's impossible to do four under four minutes or you're gonna like heart's gonna explode or you're gonna die and then he did it and then right after that like 50 people broke the four minute mile yeah yeah it's it's i mean this gets a little out there but it's like our how much we think we can actually do something or like what are, what we think is possible is, is exactly what we're going to be able to do. And that's mindset stuff. And like, that's, it's also fascinating to me. Yep. So cool. Awesome, man. 
So, and then I love your term leaving the should life and you were an attorney. So that resonates a lot with me. I used to, I studied economics. I worked in finance. I worked at a fund and I was kind of what you said in the beginning. It's like kind of, I was doing what I was kind of programmed to do and the default levels of success. And I was on a path like that as well. So that resonates highly with me. So can you tell us more about that? Like leaving the should life and uh, yeah, like what, what that process is like for you? Yeah. So, um, by the way, if you hear ambulances in the background, that's New York city for you signature. <laughs> I'm not, I'm actually in New York. Um, no. So yeah. So I like to think about, so I actually wrote an article about this that I can, I could send your way, but, uh, I like to actually think about the word should itself a lot because, uh, the word should is like the 12th most used verb in the English language right now. And it's used more than want and need. And that's, that's crazy because if you think about what should is, should is not a declaration of action. Should is not saying I will do something as I want to, I need to. It is It is basically just making a declaration about something that you feel obligated to do. You're probably not going to do it. And it just creates this guilt gap essentially where you're like, oh, I, I should work out. Every time you say that, you feel a little bit bad about yourself. And so this, this word, in my opinion, even if you apply it to other people, you know, you're telling, oh, you should do this. You know, who are you? Like, there's just so many ways in which the word is just not serving anybody. It's just creating these unrealized expectations in our lives. And so what I encourage is a should diet. I encourage people to like stop using the word should. So there's actually some some languages out there um, that don't, the word should doesn't exist. It's not a necessary component of the of, a, of language. It's something that we've invented, that we've augmented. I would say mostly because uh, taking ownership is is hard for a lot of us. And so rather than saying, I will do this, or I need to do this, or I won't do this, even saying no, we'd, we're going to say should. It's this weird kind of in-between land. And so, yeah, I really would recommend if people just are aware of the word should and when it comes up in their lives, and then really feeling into, okay, well, what did I mean by this? Do I actually mean I want to do this? Or am I saying this to not sound mean to say no to somebody? Or am I doing this because... Um, you know, I have societal pressure to do this and, and just like, it's a great exercise throughout the day that you can do. And then slowly weaning yourself off, it will hopefully allow you to like reimagine what's possible and like renegotiate what you actually want to do. And so that's what I did is I, I kind of removed should from my, my vocabulary. And, um, over time I've just found that I'm much better at saying no. Yeah. I'm much better at being clear about what I need. And, you know, it encouraged me to start my own company. And that was kind of the, the start of it was, was leaving the should life, looking inward, and then eventually uh, starting my own business. That's awesome. I love should diet. How did you, how long was your first should diet? <laughs> well, it's, listen, just like any diet, I believe it's like, you can't just totally turn off. Like if you think you're going to go gluten-free or whole 30, it's really hard to just jump in. And so you're going to make mistakes. Um, and so, I mean, I've, I, when I first started, I probably made mistakes every day, every yep. week, yep. but eventually, I mean, now I'm like, I mean, it's funny you talk to people around me and they're like, Oh, Brian, because I, every time somebody uses the word should around me, I say, Hey, like, do you mean that? Or like, I don't mean to be mean and I don't mean to tell you what you should do, but I'm yeah. curious, like, what did you mean by that? And so, yeah, it's funny. I, I acknowledge the ironicness of me telling people what, like what they should do about the word. Should. It, like, it's not a should. It's always just like the everything that I say on this podcast or in general is always just like, hey, this is 
my experience, what's worked for me. If, if it's something that resonates with you, feel free to try it, but I'm in no way claiming to know the right way or anything like that. But I just find that self-experiments like that are good. So anyway, my show, I've been on it for a couple of years now. And I think, you know, I'm saying it a lot right now, which feels really good because I never get to say it, but mm-hmm. uh, most, most of the time I, I don't really use it at all. I think even just tracking it, having the awareness of how often you say the word is probably huge. Well, I know, I know that is right. Cause I know when I coach clients and the work I've done, it's just tracking things and seeing, Oh, how you spend your money, how you use your time, how you like what you're putting in your body, like you're going to start to have that awareness and you can start to shift it. So that's awesome. 100%. How many yeah. times did you say people actually, you said it's the 12th most used word in the language or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say it is the, uh, 12th most used verb in the English language. I went and did some like, like tracking out there. Uh, sorry. It's, it's the 25th most common verb. There it is. I'm looking back at my own article. It's 25th most common. It's used more than need and feel, wow. um, which is surprising. Yeah. That is amazing. That's so funny because for me, that was a huge shift in my life. Cause we all ask ourselves question. Well, thinking is asking questions and we all have like primary questions that we ask ourselves, which means like, that's like our deeper question that we kind of like runs our life and drives our life, kind of like our values. So for me, like I would always ask, what should I do? Like, mm. I go to school, what should I do for work? What should I blah, blah, right? And that's conditioning from my parents, from my childhood, like my culture, my, my, just my upbringing. So like asking myself, what do I want? And you said want isn't as used as much as should like want is like, to me, I was taught wanting is bad. You shouldn't want stuff like the Dalai Lama says you shouldn't want stuff. And I get, and it's funny, I'm saying shouldn't, right? Dalai Lama said that. But I, I get the idea too what the Dalai Lama says. There's a balance there, right? Like over wanting and not appreciating what you already have, then it becomes kind of like a little bad. So it's a double-edged sword, kind of like technology, right? Technology is a beautiful thing, but also it can be a, a, a negative thing too if it starts using you. Or same with money, right? People think money is a bad thing sometimes, but same with money, money is a powerful tool and a very useful thing and a very amazing thing too. So I, I love that you bring that up, the whole should concept and conversation. But for me, kind of asking myself, oh, what do I actually want? That was like an aha moment. And now my life is transformed a lot because of that too, so. Yeah, I, I it's, it's very powerful. And I think, I, I think of it like a muscle. Yeah. I think a lot of us don't have a strength in muscle of like, what do I want? And, uh, it's, it's funny. I actually, I link it back to, um, you know, our education system, at least in the U S right. You know, our education system doesn't teach you how to like figure out what you want. It teaches you how to like follow rules, you know, do a test, get a good grade. And then it spits you out into the real world. And it says, Hey, like, go, go figure out what you want to do. Meanwhile, you've never strengthened that muscle of like, what do I want? You know, you're always told what classes you have to take and what you need to do. And, so it's, it's not surprising that a lot of people struggle and, and just default to the things that are shoulds. Yeah. And so what I, what I really want to do is uh, help people strengthen those muscles. It doesn't have to be at a young age, just at any age and do it on, on low stakes, right? Because if you're first, if you try to lift 400 pounds after you never worked out, yep. you're never going to be able to do it. So if you try to like figure out what to do with your life, if you've never strengthened your muscles of wants, you're screwed. So it's like, okay, just start out with like looking at a menu. What do you want to eat? Okay. Well, I should have, I should have a salad. Okay. Well, what do you, but what do you want? Okay. Well, I want to have the burger. Well, okay. But is that 
you know, is there a deeper want of health? And like, is there, you know, and it's, it's like, you just start with low stakes. And then I think that'll strengthen that muscle to then allow yourself to make some of those bigger decisions. I love that. I agree for sure. Yeah. Just building the habit and also noticing we do, we do know what we want. If we notice it, like I want to lie down on my bed, I want to get up. Like those are wants and those are little mini goals too. So, um, I love that. That's really cool. So then you yeah. said by kind of transforming your should journey, it got you to start your first company. Tell us about that. What, what was the company you started? Yeah. So, so I started a company called anchor, uh, which my last name is von Anken anchor in German. And, uh, it was all about uh, total health. And so what I saw when I was out there um, taking care of my whole holistic health was that a lot of the offerings were a little too woo-woo for, I was okay with it, but I think for the people that really needed to take care of those other aspects of health, yeah. there was a barrier to entry that didn't need to be there. And so I thought to myself, okay, what is something that everyday people do that has a lower barrier entry that you could introduce some aspects of total health into. And so I picked uh, workouts because, you know, played college football, um, you know, worked a tough mutter. I knew the power of a workout. I knew how many people did it. And so I created Anchor, which is a mindful social workout. So essentially I took a boot camp style workout. It's all body weight. And I integrated uh, breath work in the beginning, uh, meditation at the end. And then also vulnerable sharing with the other people in the class. And so like, instead of like, you know, you go to a group fitness class now and it's like, uh, there's no group. What, like you barely, if you'd like even look at someone in a yoga class, they're like, what are you creepy? And I'm like, I, I just, we're humans next to each other. I don't know. But so what we did is it, we encouraged this vulnerable sharing where, so you do like a circuit that's all about lower body. And by the way, every single class would have a theme. And so there'd be a theme like resilience. And so you'd be asked during the upper body circuit to think about a prompt on resilience. Like what's a time in your life that you're proud of how resilient you were. And you actually like connect with that experience in your body as you work out. And then at the end of the session, at the end of that kind of part, you would then get paired up with somebody and you'd like hold a squat or you'd hold your arms out yeah. and you'd each have 30 seconds to share, Hey, this, this is what came up for me. This is a moment I was most proud of. And it's kind of jokey. Like we're not trying to be too, but it just, people just felt so connected with each other. And it was like, so great to watch people transform into cohesive groups after just like a little bit of movement, get your body flowing. And then those like kind of deep questions. And so we, we did that and uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was a really cool experience, which I still offer today. That's so cool. So, so total health, it's breath work in the beginning and then you said vulnerable sharing like i guess with the workout and then at the end meditation is that kind of the general? exactly it's yeah. breath work it's mindful stretching then we just get in with some hit style like we're doing push-ups we're doing sit-ups we're doing burpees we're doing everything and then we're doing that sharing in between and then at the end we're just sitting and enjoying doing nothing and uh, we, we come up with what I call a 1% stretch. What's something that you're going to commit to doing in the next week that's going to put you a little bit closer to what you want? Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a cool concept. I think I was a bit early because I, I did it a couple of years ago now. And I, think, yeah. uh, I also did it right before the pandemic. So I was in New York City in co-working spaces, like growing, and then COVID hit. And I was like, okay, I guess we're going online. Wow. I offered it online. I offered it for free for like thousands of people during COVID. I think it was a really great way for people to stay connected. And yeah. and then, yeah, just pursued it, pursued it for a while up until, you know, it, this is a great lesson for people in general too. Like I just, 
I was promoting total health, but I was a solo bootstrap founder and I wasn't taking care of myself. Yeah. And so it didn't feel right for me to help other people when I wasn't taking care of myself. So I had to take a step back. And yeah. so I took a step back and then through an entrepreneurial community, got connected to Robbie, who's um, leading this breathwork um, app that I'm working with now. And the rest is kind of history. Right. Got it. That, so are you still, uh, and that's Othership, right, with Robbie? Yes, that's Othership. And then, and are you still, um, is Anchor still going? Like, are you, are you still offering that to people or are people still? Yeah, I mean, so right now I'm only doing corporate. Uh, so I'll just do corporate or groups. Um, and I'll, what I do is like every six months, I'll do a, uh, uh, a workout for charity. So I'll pick a charity. I'll get a bunch of people to come out and we'll raise money for, for an, a cause. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, listen, there's always a part of me that's going to want to take, bring anchor back. Uh, I think if you look at, talk about business, right at the end of the day, I think, uh, anchor was art more than business. If that makes sense. I wasn't necessarily meeting a need of a, a pressing need of a target persona. I was just like, Hey, this is what I learned. And this is like what yeah. I think might be helpful for people. And, you know, sometimes those two things might not match exactly. And so, um, but I, but you know, stay tuned on, on what might, might be coming on that. That's awesome. Cool. And then, so tell us about, um, well, actually before I t shift to the, I want to talk to you, ask you about other ship and I, I know you guys are doing, that's really cool stuff, but, uh, you said you, you had a, a strong peer group and this kind of circles back to, I think that was the should life when you brought this up, but, or maybe even before that, but basically you were saying you had a strong peer group, but you didn't know how to tell them you weren't okay. And mm -hmm. not peer, but they'd do anything for you. And I feel like a lot of people might have challenges with like, just myself included, be like, Hey, like going to a friend, a family member, like somebody that, that they know really cares about them, but also being like, Hey, like I need some help. Right. A lot of times we feel like we have to do it on our own. I definitely kind of, yeah. feel, you know, I'm like, I got to do this by myself and kind of, I'll make it happen, muscle through it. But uh, tell us your thoughts on that and, and how you were able to do that. Yeah, yeah. So it's um, it's really sad that especially men in uh, at least American culture, yeah. it's really not acceptable for guys to um, have emotions or say they're not okay. There's all this pressure for them to be tough, to be strong, to not cry. And um, I, I also think it goes back to the analogy about strengthening things. It's like, I think my friends would have been okay with me talking about things, but I just didn't know the vocabulary. I wasn't taught. No one ever like told me that the feelings that I have in my body are, you know, it's like, you know, there's so many phrases out there about like feelings, like, Oh, I caught feelings or it's like, Oh, like I'm feeling something like it's like a negative thing almost in a lot of cases that you're feeling things. But um, what I was able to learn is that I believe that, I like to think of it this way. This is always a provocative. I think emotions are like farts. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there's, there are things that your body is doing that you need to experience and you need to like fully feel them and let them out. So if like, if you had, if you had to fart <laughs> and you held it in, you'd feel like kind of uncomfortable and it like would kind of fuck with you. And like, I think uh, if you are able to like have an emotion, and fully experience it and let it go, um, you know, you're much more likely to then be able to, uh, get back to homeostasis, get back to that place. So, uh, yeah, I, I've been wanting to write that article for a while, but I haven't gotten around to it yet, but, um, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but, but I, I really think that, uh, what I did was, um, 
I was lucky enough to find an organization called Everyman, where they help guys kind of learn what it is that they're feeling, help them get paired up with groups of people where they can actually be honest and talk about things. And they use a um, technique that's all about like body sensations. So I think a lot of us spend so much time in our heads, but the reality is that our subconscious and our bodies are actually driving the bus like a lot. And so as much as we can stay connected with those parts of ourselves and understand how to like feel the things that need to be felt, like I said, that actually is our best way to then get back to, you know, feeling better about things. And so this organization, every man uh, really teaches people how to do that. It's peer led groups. Uh, and it just, it just really um, was, was a really great place for me to uh, be connected. I love that, man. Very cool. Um I love what you said about the emotions are like farts and <laughs> to tell people that's going to be the title of this podcast episode. How to, oh God. Is it sneezes bad? I was thinking sneezes. Is sneezes <laughs> better? I don't, I like, I don't know. Something. Well, I, I, in terms of marketing, I think that's going to get the most, uh, most attention clicks. Um, yeah. You got to get that message out. But uh, I, I said <laughs> that I was like, I, I love the phrase where all emotions felt fully lead back to joy. Mm. A lot of times, again, we try to like, especially men, right? Masculine energy is like, oh, I shouldn't feel that. But if you really feel it and let it go through, like emotions are just energy. And like, we just got to let it flow through us. And that's where when we get, we don't, we get, we get like these kinks in our body, right? It gets stuck like in our muscles or joints or aches or pains. And also, and also obviously thought patterns too, right? Where we just show up in weird ways sometimes. And we have, I don't like the word triggers, but triggers with people sometimes as well, you know? hundred percent. I mean, it's like the body keeps the score is a great book and it, it just scientifically shows the linkage of uh, trauma being stored in the body. And, um, you know, it's, it's just a matter of, um, this is why I like things like the should life. This is why I like things like anchor. It's like, I just want to encourage people to get curious about looking inward because once you start to look inward and you start to have that curiosity, you're able to then um, identify the things inside of you that might be holding you back, that might be hurting, that might be, you know, kind of your roadblocks. Like I actually, I did a, I did a silent retreat a couple of years ago and I'd never meditated for more than 10 minutes. And I went into a silent retreat and it was like, what, like, I was like, what the heck am I doing? This is crazy. I heard it on a Tim Ferriss podcast. I was like, screw it. I'm going to do it. And it was so talk, difficult. Talk about talk about not working out to go into work at bench press four hundred pounds. Right, right, <laughs> right. Exactly. I would not recommend it. I'd recommend getting some reps of meditation in first. <laughs> but like, it was uh, at the end of the day. Once I got settled, I like to think of it like um, our our body is like a really tangled set of headphones, and. Uh, it's really hard to untangle if you're not really focused on it. And if you just give the body space and time, it knows what to do to untangle the knots and to like really make everything good. And, and so that's, you know, that's one aspect that I've used for it. Um, and I actually, one thing I did also is I created a mini at home silent retreat for people. Cause most people are like, I can't take seven days and like go away. But like, I, I tried to make it accessible where it's just like, you just need a day and a half or two days I created like a little um, template. I have all the meditations there. I tell you how to prep for it. I tell you what to tell your friends. 
Cause I think just creating some real silence, especially these days with our phones, just like everywhere, um, you know, doing that once a year, once every six months is, is so, so powerful. Yeah. That's huge. I love that. That's very cool. That template, is that available for people to check out somehow? They can buy it from you or how? Yeah. How yeah. Yeah. It's totally free. I can just, yeah, I just, I'll just put it, I'll send it to you. It's on like, it's like a notion page. So cool. I'll, I'll put it in the, in the show notes for sure. I love that. Um, what was it like doing the, so was, was it a Vipassana? What, what was the silent meditation retreat you did and how long? Was uh, it? yeah, it was seven days. It was okay. seven days. So it wasn't, it wasn't a full Vipassana, but okay. it was, it was seven days and, um, yeah, pretty intense. Nice. It was out in spirit, spirit rock in, uh, outside of, uh, San Francisco in Marin County. Oh, nice. That's beautiful up there. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Really nice. That's where Jack Cornfield, um, yeah. is based. I think. Yeah. Cool. Um, and then, so then, then you got, obviously I'm assuming after that, you maybe you got deeper into the, the meditation become more of a practice for you after that. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's funny cause I, uh, practiced it pretty religiously for a while there. And then, um, and then I got introduced to breath work and I'd never really done breath work before. And I remember the first time I ever did breath work, I was like in Brooklyn, it was going to be an hour session. I was like, I don't know. For some reason, I was, I was like, yeah, you could charge it, but like, you're going to charge me 20 bucks to breathe for an hour. That's ridiculous. <laughs> like, what the heck are you thinking? And so I get in there and it is like totally blows my mind. I mean, I, I couldn't believe the things that I felt in just a half hour and, you know, being able to witness not only myself, but the other people around me and how transformational it was. I was like, holy crap, this is, this is going to be something. And so I incorporated it into anchor and then, you know, ended up realizing that I think this is, this is the next frontier of, uh, of a mindfulness routine for people. Um, and so, yeah, happy to get into that. I mean, yeah, I basically for me, breath work is the no brainer, um, addition for mindfulness for, for everyday people, because when you think about it, um, you know, our breath is the, you know, we talked about the importance of our body and we talked about how much we're in our mind. The breath is the, is the bridge between the two. Yeah. And so what, what happens is that if you're able to do breath work, or if you learn how to do breath work, you're able to change your state, which is like a freaking superpower. It's like insane. Right. So it's like, Oh, I'm feeling really stressed at the end of my day. And I'm supposed to go back and like hang out with my friends and family. Yeah. How do I get out of this state? Oh, I can do five minutes of breath work whoa, I feel completely different. Same thing in the morning. Oh, I don't want to do this thing at work. I just don't feel like blah, blah, blah. five minutes of breath work, totally different state. It's like literally in the science back, it's changing your physiology. It's taking the blood from your prefrontal cortex. It's reallocating it to other parts of your brain. So you will just feel more present and, and a different state. and different breath works make you feel different types of ways. And so yeah. I'm, I'm like all in on it. I think it's going to be huge. Um, you know, obviously I'm, I'm at other ship, which is promoting an app that allows you to like build a mindfulness routine. It's got like 500 tracks ranging from one minute to an hour. We use music to like make it really accessible and fun so that you're doing the breath work, but it's like, you're actually listening to good music at the same time. And yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people um, who have meditation practices, this is a great addition. And if you're somebody who um, you're like, oh, I tried meditation and it was too hard for me. This is actually the thing that I think is you're going to be able to stick with because it has a feedback loop that's pretty quick. 
Meditation, you do it, you're like, you're like, what did I do? I just ruminated on thoughts for 10 minutes. You do 10 minutes of this, you can't help if you follow other directions to feel different. Yeah, I agree. I love what you said about how breath work. So when I coach clients, it's really to change your state. The quickest way to do it, your emotions, is to change your physiology, right? So breath for sure, it's like the simplest, easiest, most powerful way to change your physiology, right? And it's so cool, you could just be sitting at your desk because most people are breathing shallow in their chest, right? They're, and that causes mm -hmm. anxiety and stress and so on. So if you just literally breathe deep into your belly, into your sacrum, into your your root chakra, it's like literally game changing right away. And you can yeah. say all you want, but it's like a massage. Like I could, we know this, we're talking about it, but like it still feels good because when you actually do it, because your body is like this biochemical. I love the, I read the book Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari. And I love how he talks mm. about just biochemical algorithms, right? So literally, we're just biochemistry and like all these things going on in us. So um, I, I totally agree with you on the breathwork stuff. That's awesome. And with meditation where sometimes if I'm just not getting in a good flow, I just focus on my breath and I do some little breathwork to drop in deeper into my meditation. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely, it's one of those things that I think um, people don't really know about it yet. I mean, some people do, some people don't. And I think what needs to happen is just, there's a great book, James Nestor wrote Breath. I think it's behind me. And and I would highly, highly recommend if you're curious at all, like just, just dip into that to see all the benefits. I mean, it's like, we're a bunch of uh, mouth breathers where it's much better for us to be breathing through our nose. And so um, how that affects like you know, whether you have straight teeth or not from when you're a child, because your nasal cavity doesn't develop. It's like so much interesting stuff in there. And I, I just think, um, like I said, the breath is the ability is the gateway for so many of these. So I just went to the biohacking conference out in LA yeah. and it was so cool. And there was just so many different people who talked about different aspects of health, but it, at its core, I think breath is, is like, a game changer and can help augment so many other of these like biohacky type things that you can do. Yeah. I feel like breath, like breath work and sleep are like two of the most, well, free, first of all, you know, it's good spending thousands of dollars doing stuff, but also, and that's sometimes we don't value it, right? Just right there. But like breath and sleep are like the most amazing, if you want to, they're not biohacks, but if you want to call them a biohack, like the best biohacks in the world, like they're better than steroids, better than freaking cryo, like cold, cold, cold exposure gate too, of course. And, but, uh, I love that breath and sleep. Those are like huge. Yeah. hundred percent. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a matter of the other thing I just feel like I want to say like is, um, health can feel overwhelming. Yeah. Like all the things you should do to take care of your health is overwhelming. And I find that a lot of people, just feel overwhelmed and anxious and then they just don't think about it and they watch netflix or they don't do the workouts and i think the biggest key that i want people to try to start to understand is that um, you don't have to do everything you don't have to be perfect this is not an exercise in there's a correct way to live nobody knows a correct way to live i don't you don't nobody does and so it's just that matter of curiosity and finding the things that resonate with you. It's kind of like, I actually like, um, if you ever do um, the Enneagram or Myers-Briggs or even astrology, it's like you read your charts or you read everything and 
what the goal of it for me is that you find the, the words or the phrases that resonate with you most and you take those with you and those help you. And so it's, it's the same thing with health and wellness. It's, it's not a matter of doing it all. It's a matter of experimenting, finding the things that resonate, doing it, and then also enjoying life, enjoying life and not getting like too serious about all this stuff. Because like, yeah, I think that's even, you know, talk about level set. It's like, I think you have a better chance of living to 150 if you live, enjoy your life than if you do, if you try to live the perfect life. Yeah, I agree. It's fun. It's a beautiful, uh, it's art, right? Like the way you just put it together, right? Like there's so many different pieces that you can uh, put together, but enjoying life is a one of the most important ingredients to it all. So I love that you brought that in. At the yeah. Uh, awesome, man. So people that they, they might want to check out Anchor or if they have a, a company or an organization, how do they like reach out to you and, and check in with you and learn more about that? Yeah. So uh, you can find me on Twitter, just Brian Von Anken. Uh, B-R-I-N-V-O-N-A-N-C-K-E-N, or you can go to theanchor.com. So T-H-E-A-N-C-K-O-R.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, can, you can find it there. And then you can find Othership uh, at uh, just Othership on the uh, the app store. You get two weeks free if yeah. you sign up. And uh, it's, I would say, just try it for free. See if it resonates with you. Read the book Breath and kind of go from there. Cool. I love that, Brian. So thanks so much for being on the show. I want to ask you one question to kind of take us off uh, to end this, to, to wind this down. So like, what do you want people that are watching this or listening to this to take away from this? Yeah. So I think the biggest takeaway is uh, how are you living your should life? Yeah. What are the ways in which you're using the word should? Is there a should diet you can go on? And are there ways that I can get curious about my health and about my mindset so that I can then uh, be more authentically um, living the way that I want to. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much, Brian. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Make sure to check out your free gift down below. It's the morning tools. They're designed to help you kick off your day in a peak state so you have energy and remain unstoppable throughout your day. And now I'll leave you with the 10 rules for life. From the book, If Life is a Game, These Are the Rules by Cherie Carter Scott. Number one, you'll receive a body. Number two, you'll receive lessons you're enrolled in a full-time informal school called life. Number three, there are no mistakes, only lessons. Number four, lessons are repeated until they are learned. Number five, learning lessons does not end. If you're alive, that means there is still lessons to be learned. Number six, there is no better than here. Number seven, other people are merely mirrors of you. You cannot love or hate something about someone unless it reflects to you something you love or hate about yourself. Number eight, what you make of life is up to you. You have all the tools and resources you need. What you do with them is up to you. Number nine, the answers to life's questions lie within you. All you need to do is look, listen, and trust. Number 10, you will forget all of this at birth.